Um, the, um, uh, there are some things in the sprint cadence that are defined for good reason. So you, uh, sprint being the term, the modern agilist term for iteration, you, you know, you take in a small amount of work that you think you can do in the cycle to the definition of done and just that. And at the end, you do two things. You check the what and the how. The sprint review is the what. You look at the work that's done and the, this is the importance of the definition of, the, of done. The stakeholders check it. That is um, product owner, users, whatever. And it has to be to the definition of done so that there can't be any hidden debt. Of course. And then the retrospective is the how. Can we improve the process so that we can take on more? Or do better or um, improve how we're working? Mm -hmm. And those are just hygiene things. Then there are things that you can look at as in, in terms of how the team's working that, that can appear of, as, as smells of something being wrong. So, um, and, and with TFS, this is pretty easy because TFS surfaces a lot of this on its dashboards. TFS being the team, team foundation, foundation server, server right? Yeah, which is. Make sure that Right. Yes, We're great. going to get into deploying that shortly. I know. <laughs> and I, I do, I do want to actually um, also break in, if, once you finish this thought, to make sure that people um, in, the, in the audience have a chance to ask a question. So finish, sure. your, finish your thought. and then. Okay, let's... so for example, um, one of my favorites uh, is to look at reactivation rate. Um, this is a, so I'm, I'm now diving very deep mm -hmm. for an example, but... Um, uh, bug, re bug reactivations are um, bugs that have been fixed that have then be been reactivated. So they were once active, then they were resolved. And now they're back again. And now then something reactive. else maybe has affected them or something's changed that has made right. them Right, so it means that they were, um, that they're getting multiple handling. Hmm. And if that is, if that number is climbing and those aren't getting closed quickly, Changes it's a smell problem. that something's wrong. Yeah. Right. It's a very quick smell that something's wrong. Okay. Um, there are other smells, declining code coverage, there are... Uh, lots of code churn in unexpected places, uh, broken builds, okay. lots of things. All this stuff pops up on TFS dashboard. Makes sense. So let's let's just. Uh, I, I would love to know um, online as well as uh, here in the room. We, we've talked about a lot of lot of things so far, um, and Jessica is there with the uh, with the the mic. 
Um, what are some of your thoughts about what we've been talking about? Does this make sense? Um, where are you in the, the process of, um, of adopting Agile, or are you? Um, any comments that anyone wants to, to share with us, either um, in the room or online? And we've got, we've got one over there. So uh, just give us a few minutes to get the mic over there. And uh, this is great, because we want this to be a discussion about what you guys are interested in. Absolutely. So go ahead. Sandy, I'm with SAI Global. Just take the mic and, and hold it right there. There you go. I'm wondering, uh, we, we've tried in our organization to apply an agile methodology on a recent project. That recent project has new technology injected into it. Could you comment a little bit about the team uh, competency or skill set level or even role and responsibilities um, relative to an agile project. Okay. And did, did we get that? Was that uh, clear enough for the audio? Good. Okay. Thanks. So uh, uh, team role and responsibilities in, in the face of new technology. And um, well, so I, I think that I think it's really important that um, uh, Teams work in a multidisciplinary way um, and feel that they have the skills to deal with um, what's at hand. So where you have the injection of new technology, um, the team needs to be able to uh, master the new technology and if it and may need to say, wait a minute, we um, need to experiment here and perhaps create a, a golden thread or a tracer bullet of what we're supposed to do with this technology to prove its suitability to what we're trying to do before we can proceed to implement uh, further on it to just to prove our mastery of that technology. Um, uh, Agile is, uh, espouses the idea that, that the team is self-empowered and the team owns the, the estimates. I will say some things about team, how we think about team here. So <clears throat> uh, there's a rule of thumb that uh, teams are effective team size is six plus or minus three. In other words, not bigger than nine uh, of a self-contained, uh, self-managing unit. Um, and that is simply from the experience that if you get more than nine people trying to work as a cohesive unit, you get too many co communication paths. So if you have more than that, break it up into two. And um, uh, if you have multiple of these teams, uh, create a communication of the teams. So the, um, the model is that each of these uh, units of nine or fewer uh, runs on a scrum with a daily stand-up and that there's then a, a scrum of scrums where a delegee of each 
acts as a communication point among them and let the um, um, organization of the team structure and the organization of the software or the intended um, uh, software work in tandem. Uh, in other words, um, this is uh, a play on, on what was once Conway's law, that organizations are doomed to ship software that reflects their organizational structure. <laughs> a flip of that is um, organize the way you want the software to end up. So make your teams reflect the way you want it to be and allow a certain fluidity in that. Um, uh, we also find that there's a certain, um, in our experience, cohesion that builds among the teams. So uh, rather than, uh, f from a management standpoint, if you are overseeing multiple teams, we find it more effective to bring work to teams rather than try to shuffle people among them. In other words, um, uh, uh, if you have team A and team B, and um, from a capacity standpoint, team B is struggling relative to its backlog, rather than take two people from team A and give them to team B, take some backlog items from team B and give them to team A. Um, and you're more likely to succeed. Um, the, uh, because the team cohesion will work in your favor. Um, uh, the self-management of the team, the cohesion, the working together has a lot of value. Um, in terms of new, adopting new technology, it's, you know, there is a learning curve, acknowledge it, let the team bring it on, the classic thing is to do the golden thread or tracer bullet style of building that skeleton or working prototype to prove it. So actually, you, you touched on a whole bunch of things that I, as I'm, as I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the conversation, I'm like, wow, if I had known this a couple of years ago when I was managing a dev team, would have drastically changed the way that we did things. One of them you said was um, change, or the reflection of your organization in the software, so change the, or design your organization in the way that you want to see your software. I think that, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a foundational statement right there that, um, would technically require a whole re-engineering of thought and stuff like that. So that was one of the things that I found interesting. And the other one is you were talking about empowering and engaging and um, self-managing and all that kind of stuff. And actually, I think in, in your book, you talk all, all about that. Do you think that that's 
um, sort of the key successes of the you know delivering on quality and delivering within the agile world to be able to do that with your team? Well, I think um, it certainly bears itself out in practice. I mean, the the um, uh, and not just in software. I mean, mm. look at the last. 40 years of the auto industry, okay. um, uh, 50, 60 years of the auto industry. Okay. So um, Ford had invented assembly lines on the notion that uh, his immigrant workforce was a fungible resource without skills. And <clears throat> Taichi Ono rethought that and said, actually, we need our workers to think. And so he organized the plant in cells where every worker was supposed to think and every worker could pull a cord to stop the entire plant if something was wrong. Now, no one understood it for about three decades. But through a whole bunch of small changes that happened, through this little shift in mentality from workers being fungible units to workers being in self-organizing teams, you had a complete shift in manufacturing practice that evolved between what had been originally the Ford, more generally the Detroit way and the Toyota way, right. that overturned the industry. And, you know, the result is that two out of three of the Detroit companies went bankrupt and needed government bailouts. <laughs> and Toyota became the world's largest car manufacturer after you know, being, uh, uh, you know, this struggling loom manufacturer at the yeah. end of World War II um, by empowering its workers. And it, it's, and, and, and we're talking about the same thing. I mean, it's, it's treating people as people. Right. It's, right. it's, it's not rocket science here. So then how does, just to, for a, a quick second to go into the, the technicalities of it, so we've talked a lot about concepts and we talked a lot about um, you know, the, the theories behind Agile and stuff like that. How does the tooling actually help do that? Like is, I'm a manager and I'm sitting here and I'm looking at um, you know, the, the team foundation server, which Ruth was asking about before, and, and Visual Studio and stuff like that. 
what what's on me as the person and what's with the software that allows me to put the two together to actually make this possible, my development team? <clears throat> well, that's a great question. Well, TFS is, a, is the collaboration hub that uh, we offer. And the uh, within TFS, there are team projects. And you can think of the team project as sort of the home base for where your team lives. Um, they see the portal on the team project, and they can get to it from inside their IDE Visual Studio, or they can get to it on the web, or they can get to it from uh, pieces of Microsoft Office like Excel, uh, or if you use Microsoft Project from that, and so forth. Um, as a manager, you can too. You all see the same things. Um, the goal here is that the metrics that are get surfaced there are descriptive metrics about what's going on. They're not prescriptive metrics where you as boss are saying, ye shall have this uh, measurement. Right. Okay. They are... Uh, real things about the work that's really happening day to day in the project. And it's being collected with no overhead, right? So all this, all this angst about, you know, oh my God, how much time am I going to spend filling out forms for the pointy haired clipboard person goes away. It's just, you know, every time I check in code, there's a tick box for the work item, right? I fill in a check box. Sounds good. And push <laughs> submit. Yep. So there you go, no overhead. Right? right? And that's how the metrics get collected, right? The build server runs. It produces the web page. Mm -hmm. That's how the build report happens, right? When the build runs, a bunch of that data gets pushed into the metrics warehouse. That's how the trends get built. Okay? It's, so it's all just there for you. Ready it's to go all so you can just use. there for you, right? Makes sense. Now, if you want to, you know, connect that, customize it, you can do all that. But if you don't want to do any of that, you don't have to. Perfect. Right. Actually, we'll pause for a second. Get any additional questions for for Sam? Well, um, what do you guys have been? Have you been thinking about some stuff? And we've talked about again, talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Also, if you're online, um, you can type in in the chat window. Absolutely. And uh, and Chris will ask your question here in the room, so we can we can answer it. Um, what are your thoughts on what we've been talking about, and and what do you want to? Uh, to know more about or what do you want to know, have no specifics of? And we have a question oh, right there. Have, perfect. Uh, yeah, I actually just had a question about um, in the uh, agile kind of process methodology, you usually work with user stories which are designed around adding specific value kind of from a customer perspective. Um, but often when you're starting a new project, maybe you're taking on new technology or maybe um, th there's a lot of things up front that you have to do 
which seem like you know the customer wouldn't care. Maybe it's you know some security or you know working you know implementing some patterns uh, to make it maintainable. Things that the customer just says, "Build it. I want feature X." But um, it, it seems like there's a lot of more focus around just you know user stories. How do you fit in these other requirements that may not you know seem to add value to the customer, but over the long term uh, they do? What a great question. I used to get that all the time, all the time. We're not going to pay for that because we don't actually need it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so all of the work that you need to do should go into the product backlog as product backlog items. Some of the product backlog items are user stories. And in every sprint, uh, there should be at least one product backlog item that is of customer accessible value. But um, frequently there will be a lot that is not customer accessible. That is um, stuff that is uh, that the team decides needs to be done in this sprint that may not be in the form of user stories, that may be infrastructure, that may be, um, you know, it may be uh, database work that will enable future user stories or whatever. Um, and uh, that counts too. And those are product backlog items too. Um, the uh, most important thing is that it be there and be transparent. Uh, and, you know, you don't hide it. You don't have to, you know, put it on yellow stickies and, you know, uh, uh, be ashamed of it or something. Um, uh, that it be there. I think there's been a little bit of a... Um, uh, an oversimplification um, by uh, some of the, uh, what I'd call the robe and sandals crowd, that everything can fit into a user story. Um, not all product backlog items do fit as user stories. Um, uh, some just don't, um, and uh, they're real too. Uh, so you just you just do them. On the other hand, I do think that the user story formulation, as a this type of user, I need to do such and such in order to achieve this goal, is a great shorthand phrasing for capturing those requirements. So um, I don't mean to diminish the value of using the user story formulation as a way of talking about requirements. Um, but I, I, the extrapolation from there that just because that's good, everything fits that mold is, I think, a misunderstanding to be avoided. That's great. Now, we probably actually are just in the, the end stretch here, and, and I was just thinking that maybe we should ask uh, Sam just for some last thoughts on agile software development before we, we do wrap up. Is yeah. that 
any last thoughts you'd like to leave us with um, based on especially your conversations you've had since you've, you've been here? Yeah, or maybe some um, clear pain points that you always hear over and over again the developers are, and, and well, development managers are telling you. I want to give you... Remember, remember we got the camera there. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I, I have a feeling you're going to pull out some more stuff. No, no. <laughs> I, I want to... So, so, you know, I want to go back to this, this idea of multifunctional teams. You know, self-managing teams. Uh, and I want to just... Because this has come up a lot in the last couple of days as I've been at Test Trek, which is a, a uh, quote, QA yeah. conference. <clears throat> One of the things we thought about very hard in the Visual Studio 2010 product line is to think about all of this waste that happens between developers and testers in traditional organizations. Okay. So I just wanted to. Um, Oh, here See, comes I knew, a prop. I knew you were going to play Here comes a stuff. prop. I love it. <laughs> I wanted to show you another game that goes on that we tried to eliminate. So that's for you, Jonathan. That's for you, Ruth. All right. Okay. I get the red one. You want to switch? And no. I wanted to show you. Yeah, you can switch. <laughs> okay. She, she wants the okay. red. Okay. Uh oh. So this is the game called No More No Repro. You bat it back and forth, <laughs> oh, like and Jonathan, you as developer, every time you bat the ball back, have to say, no repro. Yes, especially when I send it that way. That exactly. The, the, the number one developer always says is, it worked on my machine. Exactly. Or, it worked <laughs> it yesterday. Worked on my machine. Exactly. So Ruth is. OK. <laughs> OK. I write code. I don't. I don't. Okay, you're not right. doing your job. It's you have gone. to say no repro. No, no repro. repro. Sorry. And, and and for for me, what does no repro mean? Exactly. No reprogramming. <laughs> no re. What does no repro mean? That you can't reproduce. Reproduce. You can't reproduce. Right. It. You're telling me I have a problem. I should have back to you saying sorry. You I can't, can't reproduce it. it. Or as you know, if it, that would be the official way of saying it. Or if you're a developer, you just say, "Well, it works for me." Yeah. So it must be pilot error. Of course. So we, always, we, we would always say, pilot error. <laughs> okay. Right. So what we tried to do in Visual Studio 2010 as one of about 15 scenarios to help eliminate waste was one called No More No Repro, where we tried to look at all of the things that caused no repro bugs. In other words, cause developers to get these situations where legitimately they would be confronted with real bugs and real bug reports and say, I can't reproduce this, okay? So we let testers file bugs where all they had to do was fill in the name of the bug because the machinery automatically captured for them screenshots and video recordings and action logs and configurations and IntelliTrace logs from the servers behind the application under test and snapshotted virtual machines. And then the developer who caught the bug could just open those to see 
exactly what the tester saw, click on the test step, Thanks. play that segment of video, use the action log to see exactly what gestures the tester made, perhaps flip that into an automation strip to create an automated test, Nice. if needed, Yes. debug off of the server log without having to recreate an experiment to recreate it, but effectively debug separated in space and time, and if necessary, attach to a virtualized image of the machine in the failure state to inspect the database or the server, the web server or whatever, as it was at the time the bug was Which recorded. all goes back to what you were saying before, of getting rid of all that wasteful activity so you can actually just deliver quality, right? Exactly. Love it. Well, that's great. I that's absolutely great. love it. I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to wrap things up now. Our our, our folk online are going to get cut off eventually. So, uh, um, but thank. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank absolutely. you so much. Absolutely. Thank you Sam. so much. And actually, if you guys wanted to try out um, what uh, Sam's been talking about, you can actually go. Um, if you have MSDN, perfect. You can actually download all this stuff right from there. Um, install it. Give it all a try. Um, or there's actually 90-day uh, trials right online that you can download VHDs that you can download of all of this set up to just give it a try, right? So that, um, you know, don't take Sam's word for it, um, even though you absolutely should, but um, give it a try. Um, and that's probably the best way to do it. It's actually also um, a whole bunch of ALM webcasts that are coming up. Um, and you can check that out also from uh, the MSDN homepage. They're on there. Um, or you can visit my blog. I have all the information on there for you as well. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Really, just Absolutely. give it a try. They're also in the Align IT uh, event lo event calendar. Absolutely, so AlignIT.ca. Yeah. It's all there. By the way, just remember that the promise of the book, if you remember, was that you can read this on a flight. Yes. Right. <laughs> Um, it does, in fact, have a lot of pretty pictures, which is absolutely great. Um, you could read it, and you can go, and you can actually understand what this stuff means. Fantastic. So I'm actually, we're, we're flying out to uh, Tech Days Vancouver yeah. next week. I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> I'm going to give it a challenge, and we'll see. I mean, I've read it already, but um, now that it, I've, I've been told that it's going to fit in the flight, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Um, one okay. more. Oh, oh, actually, one more. One okay. more. Um, if you guys have any questions for Sam um, that we didn't get to answering uh, here, don't forget about the Align IT uh, LinkedIn group. Right. right? Yeah. Post your questions on there. We're going to be monitoring that to see uh, what, to, what you guys have on there. We'll get Sam to answer the questions for you. Um, and, you know, as well, if uh, you're watching other people's questions and you have something to share, by all means, yeah. please do. So that's uh, Go link. LinkedIn, and then if you do a search for Align Absolutely. IT, it'll come Probably up. Probably easier. Or, again, it's linked off right off the site, alignit.ca. All right, so. yeah. All right, well, that's it. we got to wrap up. Thanks right. a lot. Until next Sam. month. Thanks again, Sam. Thank, Thank you, care. John.